Well, we're making our way through the epistle of James. This is a unique kind of epistle in the New Testament. It's uh, written in the style of the book of Proverbs with all kinds of very succinct statements that um, give to us an insight on how to live life skillfully. And we are in chapter four tonight, and we're going to take a look at just one short paragraph, but it introduces to us something that could generate some discussion uh, that uh, has various perspectives, but that'll come toward the very last uh, couple of verses in this paragraph. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to take a look at uh, chapter four, verses 11 down to the end of the chapter, and then we'll spend two more Wednesday nights in chapter five, and that will conclude this study and then uh, that will bring us up to Thanksgiving, and we won't have a Bible study the day before Thanksgiving. We'll take a break, and then we'll figure out what we'd like to do after that. So that's kind of our schedule in the next few weeks. So let's read this paragraph, and then I'll introduce what it's trying to do. And if you have questions, just, um, you know, don't be afraid to speak up, because what you're thinking or the question you have might be also on someone else's mind as well. Let's take a look at verse 11. So verses 11 and 12 are kind of a transitional couple of verses from what has come before, uh, before he gets into a different topic in verses 13 down to 17. But I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we'll come back and we'll tease it out a verse at a time. In verse 11, it says, brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Verse 13. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, and all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. So, You'll notice um, that the previous section, chapter 3, verse 13, through chapter 4, verse 10, is built upon this idea of a theology of wisdom, how it works. Um, and then he goes into chapter 4 to talk a little bit about the things that arise from our own selfishness and pride and that type of thing. And it emphasizes um, what First John tells us, that we fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. So we said last week in verse one, he says, uh, don't all these fights and quarrels among you come from your desires. That's another way of saying the flesh. And then he says down in verse four, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world there's that concept. So the flesh and the world. And then in verse seven, he says, submit yourselves to God and resist the devil. So these same three influences um, that first John talks about is what believers are up against. 
And he talks a little bit about all three of these influences causing division. And that's where we come back in verse 11. There's this, um, this relationship with other people that has a lot of bad interaction. And he introduces the concept of slander. However, that's just one principle out of five that are remaining in this book. So if you look at the slide here, he talks a little bit about submitting to God to experience peaceful relationships with other people. And then he talks about five practical applications. One is how we speak of other people. Second is how we make our plans for tomorrow. Third is what we do with our resources. Number four is how we wait for God. And number five is communal prayer and mutual accountability. So those are in chapter five. So the two that we're going to look at tonight is how we speak of others and how we make our plans. So with that in mind, he says in verses 11 and 12, do not slander against other people. Now, scholars don't know if these two verses is really the conclusion of the previous paragraph or it's the introduction to uh, the remaining paragraph in chapter four. So some see it as kind of a standalone type of thing because it talks about some of the things that have come before, but it also introduces something different and it's the idea of judging other people. So slander and judgment of other people, it seems kind of go along with each other. So when we sit upon other people in judgment, rarely will we speak well of them. And so slander is one of those sins that tries to build ourselves up by tearing other people down. So what we find here is some statements that are often made, and I think we all know people like this, that have maybe a lower self-esteem, and they try to build themselves up by putting other people down slandering other people, criticizing them, being overly picky about um, other people's life or uh, some of the choices that they make, that type of thing. So what we find, though, is that when we slander, we're not really submitting to God. Back up in verse 7, he says, submit yourself then to God. So one evidence, I guess, of us not being in submission to God is the way we talk about other people. We could throw things like gossip in there, um, different things that are sins of the tongue. Um, what's interesting though, is uh, there are, seems to be a multiple, uh, multiple motivations uh, that can cause the way we talk about other people. And I think one of them that came to my mind, you know, the story of, um, Miriam and Aaron, you know, Aaron was uh, Moses' right-hand man, as Moses was uh, not eloquent, at least that's what he thought he was, that he had a speech impediment of some sort, and yet God uses him, and um, he goes in and he says, let my people go, but his own sister Miriam and Aaron later speak against Moses, and you can take a look at this in Numbers chapter 12. Um, and they begin to uh, criticize him. And what they criticize him for, interestingly enough, is that he intermarried 
of, with a different race. So if you want to just, you don't have to turn there, but uh, in Numbers chapter 12, this is quite interesting as the way we kind of misuse our tongue to criticize and slander other people. So in Numbers chapter 12, it, it says here, <clears throat> excuse me, um, <clears throat> verse one, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Uh, scholars believe that the Cushites were, um, were of black descent. So he, in, he was interracially married. And, and then they question, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? They ask, hasn't he also spoken through us? And what's interesting is Moses does not defend himself. The next verse says he's a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Uh, and then God comes through and begins to speak to Miriam and Aaron. And he basically says to them to shut up. Okay, he says to, when a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? That's a pretty steep criticism, isn't it? That uh, God brings against Miriam and Aaron. But it's, a, it's an example of different motivations. It seems to me that the reason that they are talking against Moses, number one, they use his intermarriage as an excuse to speak against him. But the real motivation was envy. Uh, has not the Lord also spoken through us? So um, here's God doing different things through Moses. He's the leader of the nation of Israel. He's leading them out of Egypt, et cetera. Uh, and they feel that they're kind of playing second fiddle. And so I give you that illustration simply because slander, gossip, other types of criticism uh, can have multiple motivations at the same time. And in this case, one is the outward. Why is this man intermarried with uh, someone of another race? But the real motivation was their envy of him. And so I hope that helps as kind of an illustration. And basically what God is saying is, you know, I speak to him face to face. He's my man. I, he's the one that I have called to take care of my people. So you have some thoughts there, any comments or questions on, on that? You can come back if you're in numbers back to uh, James chapter four. So they begin to sit in judgment on him. And, um, and so this criticism is anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. And when you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it. Well, what law is that? I don't think it's the Mosaic law. Um, I think the law that he is referring to here is the royal law that was already introduced earlier in the book. It's in chapter two, verse eight. He says, if you keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. And you'll notice here in the, uh, the book of James chapter four, 
you'll see that the law is lowercase. And so even the translators are, are thinking this is not talking about the Mosaic law that was given on Mount Sinai. It's probably the royal law that he is referencing earlier in the book. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. So slandering or speaking against another person is using judgment on another person, but you're not keeping the royal law of loving your neighbor. And, um, and then he begins in verse 12 to talk a little bit about who has the right to judge. So you'll notice he says here, there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to both save and destroy. So this is a real critical point at this juncture in, um, in this paragraph. So judgment is something that we do intuitively, don't we? We, we, we see something, we make a judgment on it. We read something, we make a judgment on it. Um, it's just a part of our everyday life. But when it's directed towards someone else, we have taken the place of God. That's kind of the idea that's going on here. There's only one lawgiver and one judge. And implied in that is you're trying to step into the role of God and you don't have the right to do so. Only God has the right to do that. So another cross-reference, uh, if you were to read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7, uh, Jesus talks about um, this idea of judging other people in chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. So let me just read that for you real quick. So in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, he says, do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And I, this brings up a point, I think, that um, when we judge other people, we use an elevated standard against them. But when other people judge us, we want them to use a lower standard. And it seems that that's kind of how we are as human beings, isn't it? Uh, we can be highly critical of other people. But don't you dare use that same approach or same level against me, too. And um, so it, Jesus makes it pretty clear, doesn't he say? He says, the way you judge other people is kind of the same way you're going to be judged back. And there might be a boomerang, boomerang effect there. So um, he then concludes in this part here. He says, there's one lawgiver, one judge. Um, but who are you to judge your neighbor? And so uh, those who choose to ignore the royal law to love their neighbor are actually speaking against it and are assuming a position they do not have the right uh, to assume. And that is they are standing in God's place. Some thoughts there, comments there? Questions? That's a powerful couple of verses. And it, it, it works as a hinge in some ways, because I think what you find following is there's an element of boasting and there's an element of pride that I guess is found also in the way we judge other people. But then it finds its way into our lives in other ways too. Um, so he then begins to talk 
in verse 13 through 17 about future plans and planning for tomorrow and uh, having the confidence that the decisions that we are making um, are going to turn out right. They're, they're going to succeed. And he says in verse 13, he begins this section, he says, uh, you say today or tomorrow, uh, we will go do this or that. Uh, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. And James is going to say, you're assuming a lot. You're assuming a lot. You can make your plans, uh, but ultimately your life is in God's plans. And that you don't know. That's something that I don't know is what lies ahead. Um, we can make our plans, but those plans can change. So you see here on the slide, it says the big idea is to stop boasting about the future. And again, the same idea is kind of submission, submission to God, uh, realizing that he is the one that controls the future. Uh, ultimately, there are some things that we can control in our life. There are choices that we make out of our free will. Uh, we try to make the best decisions using wisdom and insight and knowledge. But there are some things that we just can't see coming down the line. And when that happens, whether it's a physical illness, whether it is a tragic thing, like Kay was talking about a little bit earlier, um, you know, we are caught by surprise. And it's shocking because we didn't see it coming. And when that happens, um, what we find is we're thrown into a tailspin, I think. And we wonder what is going to happen uh, out of this situation. And I guess what James is trying to say is maybe we should be more humble up front and realize that tomorrow, whatever that it holds, is in God's hands. So I don't think he's condemning the idea of carrying on business or even choosing to spend a year here or there, but it's the arrogance that he's confronting here, assuming that you have full control over your life and you can make future plans based upon the fact that you have full control over your life. I think the longer we live, the more we realize the less control we have. You know, when we're young, when we're healthy, when uh, we have strength and um, vitality, you know, we think sometimes, yeah, whatever comes my way, I'll just control it. And then as we get older, we realize there's some situations that we cannot fully control. And, um, and so there's this, uh, this, there is this idea of humility in this verse. And um, so he's telling us to acknowledge, acknowledge the Lord in, in our tomorrows. Any thoughts on this slide? So let's come back and, and let's look at each verse for a second. So the first point I want to make in verse 13 is the ongoing practice of formulating future plans apart from God's will is a bit tricky. Um, it's interesting that we as Westerners often think of making plans as individuals. Now, you have to go all the way back to the beginning of the book of James 
And you remember who he's talking to. It's not to an individual, but he, in verse one of chapter one, he says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. In many ways, he's addressing a community and maybe the idea of making plans and forging ahead is the idea of, of over planning that often takes place in the midst of community, not just our own personal plans. And so when you think about this term business, carry on business, usually that's more than one person. In other words, how, how does a company carry forward in their vision or their plan or their goals? Well, usually there's a collaboration of some sort. Um, so, um, you know, whether it is at a university or whether it's at a company and whether it's at a church, it's a group of people that tend to look into tomorrow and try to make plans for tomorrow. Uh, and what we find is that there can be, especially if we've had a little bit of success, assume that that's what's awaiting us tomorrow too, is that, hey, we've got the formula, we're going to be able to succeed no matter what. And I think that's kind of what James is, is saying, no, 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 you have to remember, ultimately, you don't know what's around the corner. And so people make plans, and yet, even if they have a business or something that's going great, all it takes is a pandemic, right? And all of a sudden, it changes the whole direction. And many restaurants, many companies have folded because of this. And so there's things that are out of our control here. And I think maybe what he has in mind is being overconfident rather than being humble. And he's not just saying mouth the words here if it's the Lord's will. I don't think that's what he's saying uh, to make sure you're using the right religious lingo. What I think he's saying is ultimately we, we can, if we have not been knocked down, uh, assume that tomorrow is going to succeed just like today. And we, none of us have that assurance. We have to be dependent upon God and rely upon him. And sometimes that's a little bit at a time, even a day at a time in some of our situations. So you'll notice here, he mentions, um, we will, the word will um, is kind of a confident word. Um, it speaks about you know, we're going to make this happen type thing. And um, the connection back to 111 is interesting here. He, uh, in chapter one, verse 11, says, <clears throat> find it, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. So he's already touched upon this here. Uh, the businessman that is overconfident because he has the resources. Um, and, you know, when you have resources, you can, you can become a little bit more autonomous in your relationship with God, you know, because you don't, you're not as dependent upon him. So maybe what he's trying to do is take aim at those who think that they are secure enough that they can go ahead and do whatever they want. 
and because they have this feeling of autonomy and there's this perception of control that they they have you have some thoughts there anyone you just talk out if you want to talk about something yeah. <laughs> or how do you handle it normally I, I was just i was just thinking about um how we can actually block what god has in mind for us like um for you put so much control on on like where you're going to work or your next plan that that you're making it harder for him to give you like something even better so i was thinking about when i got this recent job i was uh i was trying to control so so much where i was going and then i ended up with the the best job i've ever had in my life (laughs) and i look back and i don't know how i never would have imagine that I'd be working, I'm working in Ashtabula, which is something that I would have never uh, planned for myself, but it's so great. It's just a perfect job for me. Excellent. Very good. Well, what are you doing? I'm teaching. Are you? Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very so nice. It's really, really a great job. And, um, but I was trying to plan. So, you know, blocking him yeah. from what he had for me. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's easy to kind of get a picture, isn't it, in your own mind where you think your life is going to go and what uh, choices you're going to make or what changes you want to make. And sometimes not being dependent upon God, you know, we might miss out on other opportunities because we, you know, have kind of blinders on a little bit. Some other thoughts, anyone? I was also thinking about um, with other people, um, just comparing yours. I compare myself all the time. And um, that also stops God from, I think, um, you, you, it stops you from seeing the blessings in your own life, like comparing yeah. Uh, yeah. constantly. And, you know, what he gave you, you should be like, uh, content with that Mm -hmm. and um and and if you are concentrated on other people you can't get to where he wants you to go yeah you know you're you're also blocking yourself in that way good point excellent anybody else okay we'll move to the next verse here so verse 14 why do you not even uh, why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Um, here's the idea of the futility of thinking that we have full control over our lives. And it's interesting he uses the word mist. Okay, those of you who have been in Bible study with me, what does that remind you of? That's that's right. Uh, Book of Ecclesiastes, we went through that a couple years back, and um, the translator often says vanity, vanity, all is vanity in the book of Ecclesiastes, um, but probably a better translation is vaporous, vaporous, all is vaporous, and it's the idea of what we're beginning to see in the morning as we get up and go outside, we'll be able to see our breath a little bit, and it's there for a second, and then it's gone. And it's that idea of it's, it's here, we can't really hold on to it, and it 
dissipates very quickly. And so this idea of a mist here is the idea of you think you have control, but it's like that mist that, you know, ultimately escapes because you don't have full control. You might see it for a while, he says here. It appears for a little while, but then it vanishes. And I think all of us have enough short-sightedness in, in the way we approach life that we tend to think, oh, that's the way it's always going to be, you know, but that's just a mist. It's there for a second. And life has a way of changing dramatically. And it sometimes doesn't take all that long for it to change dramatically. So the appearing and vanishing, as I make the point there, is also a reference. It's kind of a metaphorical reference of, of our, the shortness of our life. It's the idea of birth and death. And it's the idea of we really don't have control over those two bookends. And that is, I have no control of coming into this world. And ultimately, I have no control of when God will take me out of the world either. And um, so this idea of a mist is I, the idea of uh, how quickly life passes and it's here for a moment and then it's gone. But um, rarely do we think of it in those terms. And again, I think age kind of changes our perspective on that. As we look back over our shoulder, we begin to think, where did all the years go? And how did they go by so quickly? I don't think, um, I don't think younger people probably know that quite yet because they haven't had a lot of the, the road they've been traveling look in the rearview mirror uh, yet. But um, for those of, those of us on our uh, journey through this world that have a lot of gray hairs and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of pavement in back of us and I think we all realize that you know life does go by very very quickly and so he's again just humbling us enough to think um, yes we're to take advantage of the moments that we have and yet as we plan for tomorrow there's an if there and the if is if there is a tomorrow for me, which I'm not guaranteed, but um, but a humbly I'll move into tomorrow, right? And um, and that's what he says in verse 15 when he says, "If it's the Lord's will," and uh, he'll introduce that here. But before I get to the next slide, do you have some thoughts here? That is sometimes when you move away from somewhere, and then you realize the life went on without you, mm -hmm. and that nobody then recognizes you're in that space. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of almost like it's when you die, and, you know, so much is left. Yeah. Life goes on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, it, one of the difficulties of doing a um, a hybrid type of study is, I know you probably couldn't hear what Esty said. What yeah, I she, could. Um, could you hear? No. Mm -mm. No, okay. Um, she was talking a little bit about after you've been gone for a while from someplace. Now she's from Croatia and um, they came over to the States when she was 16 
And we went back in 2013, and then she went back again with our son. Uh, what year was that? That was three years ago. And she was talking about how, you know, so much has changed in that time away that, you know, even people that you thought you might see or know or recognize, it, it's not there anymore. And um, other things has taken its place, whether it's a change of the city, um, you know, you know, things in the city have changed uh, physically or whether it's people that have either passed on or have moved away or maybe have forgotten relationships that they have had in prior years. So did I summarize that accurately for you, yes? Okay. No, she says it's kind of a taste of what it's like after you die. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So Mark just brought up, it's kind of like when, when you leave a job and uh, your coworkers say, oh, you know, we'll never forget you and, and that type of thing. And then you go, then you go back a few years later and they don't even know who you are. Right. <laughs> yeah. What would, yeah. What we, what would we do without you? But business goes on. Yeah. Right. That's right. Uh, you're just a vapor. Yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah. That's a very humbling thing. And I think that's why James brings it up. So, all right. Anything else on this? Okay. So in verse 15, there's an alternative. And he begins by saying that um, you should submit your future plans to God for his approval and blessing. Take a look at verse 15. He says here, um, instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Uh, as I mentioned a moment ago, I don't think James has in mind, if it's the Lord's will, as kind of a, a magical statement uh, that is used because you want to do your own thing anyway. So we do this a lot in Christianity. We'll use Christian verbiage a lot of times, but God's not fooled, all right? So uh, it's just like, when people pray for something, and I've had people say this to me over the years, well, God didn't answer that prayer, but I prayed it in Jesus' name. Yeah, well, okay, that, yeah, but the point is, that's not a, that's not a magical, you know, enchantment that you're saying here, that God automatically is going to do it because you used in Jesus' name, and I don't think that's what James is saying here. I think he's very honest and straightforward with this. If it's the Lord's will, we will do this or that. It's not like saying, Lord willing, I'm going to go ahead and do what I want to do. And I'm going to say, Lord willing, as almost kind of like a shield or safeguard that it's going to be secured. Uh, I think he's very humble here. And I think he is talking about the fact that because life is like a mist, it's one of those things that um, if, if it's the Lord's will is a genuine statement that I'm going to plan for the future and I'm going to, I'm going to look forward to tomorrow, but I do keep in the back of my mind, if it's the Lord's will, 
because ultimately I don't know what tomorrow holds. And do you remember the statement Jesus made? He said, um, you know, why do you worry about tomorrow? Today has enough trouble of its own. And what he was suggesting is there's a lot of things into tomorrow that you cannot control. Just take care of what you need to take care of today. But I don't think he's saying don't plan. And I don't think he's saying don't have an IRA or, or anything like that. But what I think he is saying is ultimately we live uh, each day dependent upon God's grace for the 24 hours that we uh, call a day in our life. And, um, and I think that's what James probably has in mind here is it's this idea of uh, relying upon God and trusting uh, without boasting or bragging, as he says here, because all boasting is evil. It's not all dependent upon me. Uh, so the key question, I think, and here's, I said at the beginning of our Bible study, that toward the end of this paragraph, I'd raise a question that that is a little bit, it's technical and, and it's tricky. And the question is, how much of life does the Lord control and how much of it does it intersect with free will? So there's all kinds of theological camps. Um, you know, God ordains everything, that type of thing. And yet at the same time, we can turn to as many verses in the Bible where God allows us to use our, our choice and our free will. Um, so that is a that is a tricky subject to to get a hold of uh knowing that god's in control but he also delegates to us because we're made in his image and we have a free will to make choices he allows us to make choices and um how the two intersect with each other how the two um come together is is something that's a real challenge for us as human beings to, to get a hold of, I think. Um, how, how have you approached that double side uh, uh, of a coin uh, like uh, that's the Lord's will versus our will? Have, any thoughts on that? Now, there's a lot of different ways people have tried to approach this idea of God's will. And um, some people think God's will is sort of like an arrow. And there's only kind of one tip, and it's to hit a target. Other uh, people think of God's will more as a circumference. And choices within that circumference is equally pleasing to him. So, Kay, you just mentioned about taking a job, and um, this this job um, is something that you really are thankful for because you're really enjoying it. I, I and yet, is that the only choice that God would be pleased with in your life? My answer, my perspective is no. I think He gives to us a range of of opportunities where he allows us to use our, our gifts and, uh, and, and our passions and our experiences. And I think he allows us freedom of choice. Um, so that's my perspective on it. 
Um, but how, how do you guys think about that topic? I think we, we have a choice, um, certainly, but that we can go full steam ahead, think we know everything, like he's warning about here, like, oh, I, I know all about what, what he wants and everything. He's saying, we don't, we don't know everything that he wants for us, and we can't even imagine what he has for us. And um, when we just go full steam ahead without even asking him you know, or praying about it, then you, you are making a choice and he allows you to do that. But you may be missing out on something really great. Yeah. And then, and then just by sheerly being grateful for everything that you do have, mm -hmm. you know, I think that, that really, um, I was, I was thinking about that earlier, just like that each day you wake up and you can walk and you're able to look at, you know, the sun rises and, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of gifts each day gives that sometimes we take for granted, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, uh, Mark was just saying, he's saying, well, sometimes you pray about something and God really doesn't want you to have that. And it's mm -hmm. and it, it's something that he wants you to wait. Maybe there's something else that's going to happen, that type of thing. Yeah, good. Yeah, he does close a door. Yeah. And then, mm -hmm. Yeah, and when, when doors close, I think many times we we get so frustrated because we're not in full control to, to, to actually trust that maybe there's a different door that's better. You know, we get discouraged when a door closes and rightfully so we're just human beings, but, um, but many times we forget that God is in control of the multitude of options that are out there. Yeah. I think looking back to you say, Oh, shoo, I'm glad that door closed because I would have been stuck there. Or, you know, I would have made the wrong move. So oftentimes I, it's looking back, you go, shoo, thank you, God, that I didn't do that. Yeah. You know, you know that, that prayer door. I prayed 20 years ago? Yeah, exactly. Thank you for not answering that. <laughs> yeah, thank you for saying no. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Anything else on this? So he kind of ups the ante in verse 16 here. He says, as it is, you boast and brag all such boasting is evil. Um, he's kind of charging the reader, not just with foolishness, but with the sin of pride as well. So there's kind of a difference between foolishness and pride. I guess there's a stubbornness in pride. So we've all known that we've made dumb decisions, or we know people that make dumb decisions. And it's done just because of a lack of awareness or a lack of knowledge or whatever it may be. But then we know people that charge ahead. They know better, or at least they should know better. But because they think they know better, they go ahead and, and push on ahead, right? And as they do so, then uh, that becomes more of a sin of pride than it is foolishness in making those choices. So um, 
I think James probably is not just thinking about these business people that is in verse 13 here. He's probably addressing everyone that would be a part of the readership here. And that is, um, you know, sometimes we come up with arrogant and grandiose plans and we try to envision tomorrow without God's involvement in it. And uh, when we do that, you know, we're showing, we're showing that we want to be in full control and, um, and rather than being in independence upon God. So that's why he says all such boasting is evil. You have any comments? So that brings us to one more verse uh, for tonight. That's verse 17. And it's kind of a general statement about obeying God. He says, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. Now, this is kind of a different twist, isn't it? So we often think of sinning against God by the things that we do. But here, this twist is we are also sometimes falling short of God's will by refusing to do the things that we should do. So there are those type of things that we know we ought to do. Um, it's a good thing to do, but we look the other way and we don't do it. And so that's kind of a different twist, I think, that James brings upon this discussion as he closes it uh, in this chapter. Uh, there's this contrast between making prideful plans and in the end, maybe my plans are always all about me and I overlook some of the things that I should be cognizant of. I should be able to see, but I don't see it. And so it's not necessarily a sin of direct violation against someone, but it's kind of a sin of omission. It's kind of, I know that, I know this is a good thing to do and I refuse to do it, that type of thing. So again, this is still talking kind of a little bit about God's will, which is a difficult thing to get a hold of. So, you know, you could, we can choose some stereotypical examples. So we know that the scriptures talk about helping the poor. Does that mean though, every time you pass a panhandler on the street, it's God's will that you should put money in his cup, you know? Um, so it, it, this whole topic is a, a difficulty at times that takes a lot of patience and trying to, to ascertain what the heart of God is in a particular situation and be able to the best of our ability to stay as close to God's heart as possible. There is this delicate balance in life. And that's the last point I'm making tonight. That is between God's will, we might call it God's sovereign will, and his permissive will, uh, where he allows the use of human freedom and choice. Um, and that delicate balance, I think, is found in humility. I think that's kind of one big part of this section of James is humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. That's what he says in verse 10 of chapter four. 
So that's kind of what uh, I have for you tonight out of this little paragraph in James. Uh, there's some other topics here that you see that you want to bring up that you want to discuss or questions you might have. I was thinking of the Old Testament. It seems so obvious when they make the wrong choice, like they, like Jonah, or they they disobey God, but they still are, you know, by God's grace, He still says, "Oh, you're a man after my own heart," or, you know, they all make mistakes that are terrible, and <laughs> um, which is good for us to see. But for us, I think it's kind of murky. Yeah. Um, in our decisions, but if, you know, to try and listen to that place inside of you, that's, you know, that's saying, oh, give that person $5 or something like that. And you can ignore that yeah. just as easily as, you know, so it is tricky. I agree with you. It's very, yeah, it's very, it's very murky. I think that's a good way of put it, putting it and being able to have clarity of sight in a particular situation takes a lot of being, I guess, sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Because at times, you know, the Spirit might not focus and, you know, and that's fine. But there are other times when the Holy Spirit might tap us on the shoulder and say, turn around and put that $5 as you're talking about into the person's hand. So, yeah, and sometimes that's really clear. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and then it, it's really fun when that happens because then it, it makes you feel good that you're able to do that. But, you know, it's not always clear what, what you right. should do. Yeah. It's not always the same. And that's the great mystery of faith. In, in many respects. But I Anybody like what you said about being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Um, because it will, you know, you will get direction. Mm -hmm. And that's really, that's really cool when you're living that way. Yeah. Boy, if we could just do that on a daily basis. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> you know, sometimes they're few and far between, aren't they? <laughs> Anybody else? Any other thoughts? I was thinking, Larry, I was thinking of um, David and Bathsheba. Mm -hmm. It was obvious with our hindsight that it was God's will for them to get together because of the lineage of Jesus. But David jumped the gun. Mm -hmm. It would have been interesting to see how God had worked it out if David hadn't stepped in. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, you know, you look back and the biblical mm -hmm. writers will elevate um, some really odd stuff that God uses. And I think that's true. It's, uh, the lineage of David that eventually brings us down to Jesus. Um, and yet at the same time, had he not done that, then how, you know, how would God have worked the situation out? And I'm not sure any of us know how, but we do know God can and, and he will. 
but it how he'll do it is beyond us at times. So that's that's a good 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 point. For me, it's so um, I like that story of David and Bathsheba because just how many mistakes he made, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's you know come, even coming to murder, and and then you think that he you know God loved him still. It wasn't like that. Said okay, that's it. You've yeah. done that. That's your last chance. So forget it. Yeah. You know, you've made the last mistake you're going to make. Yeah. Yeah. In the case there, you know, the it's it's one of those things that God God definitely chooses to continue to work through the Davidic covenant that he made with David. Um, but at, at other points in the Old Testament, there isn't a second chance. Uh, you know, there's individuals that make choices, and it's almost as if that's the end of their um, <clears throat> their opportunities. So, you know, but that's part of, I think that's the, the amazing thing about the the narratives that we read in in the Bible is you see a kaleidoscope of different stories and the way it works out. And, you know, sometimes you can see it directly and you can make point A to B and other times you can't, you know, it's, it's confusing. But that doesn't then become a premise that justifies making a decision because you found a story that happens to coincide with what you want that story to do for you. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So you got to be careful there. <laughs> so that means adultery is okay. Yeah, right. There you go. Yeah, there's that idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you mean uh, you mean Lot's wife? Oh, okay. So like, <laughs> don't turn around and look back on Sodom and Gomorrah, and she does anyways, and they're she becomes a pillar of salt. So, <laughs> so, all right. Well, I, this was very enjoyable. Thanks for the interaction tonight. And, um, you know, we'll kind of close up at this point and we're going to come into chapter five next week. So if you have a chance to look at that um, first half of chapter five, that's what we'll cover. And then, um, then two weeks from tonight, the, the way the book closes, this ought to generate some good discussion, is the prayer of faith. That there's this idea that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So, you know, that ought to generate some discussion in terms of answered prayer, unanswered prayer, you know, if you ask in faith, don't ask in faith, all that type of thing. So, what's that? Okay. All right. So I hope you have a great uh, rest of the week and hope to see you here in church on Sunday. Thanks, Larry. Okay, Thank you welcome. very much. Okay. You're quite welcome. Have a Thank great you for night. Having me. You bet. Have a great evening. You too. Okay. Bye-bye.